With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Soul of America radio broadcast. Tonight's episode is Let's Straighten It Out, starring Dr. Bo, also known as Big Easy. Big Easy helps you work out and foster healthy relationships. Tonight's show is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio and hosted and produced by the Soul of America radio. And now, without any ado, we take you directly to Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo. Let's straighten it out. Traits came about from doing a survey of over 500 
family therapists and counselors that work with families and looking at some of the things that they saw missing in families and came up with these 15 traits of a healthy family. So as you hear these traits, these are based on that survey, and some of these will apply and some of them won't. So if your family is not like the Cosbys or the Cleavers, then that doesn't necessarily mean anything except your family is not like the Cosbys or the Cleavers. Uh, as we share these different traits, we want to look at what are some of the traits that you share with your family, and please feel free to call in and um, make comments. So we're not going to talk about family dysfunction. Uh, we're not going <clears> to <throat> dwell on the negative. We want to look at what are some of the positive traits of a family and how does your family fit in. Uh, some of these things, as I said, will apply and some of them won't. <clears throat> okay, um, what exactly is a family? Um, you know, ideal a family is any is two or more people that live together. They're related by ancestral marriage. Uh, we have different types of families. You have the family of origin, which is the family that you grew up in. Uh, the nuclear family would be your spouse, mate, or children if you have children, whoever makes up your current household. And then we have the extended family. Some cultures are more prevalent with the extended family, and that includes, it might even include uh, close friends, neighbors, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and other relatives. As I think back with my family, we had people that were very close friends, and these people weren't related by blood, but um, these were folks that were extremely close to the family, so they were a part of our extended family, even though they weren't blood relatives. So a family basically can be made up of people who are bound together by birth, by law, or by love. You have a lot of grandparents, for example, that are raising their grandkids now for various reasons. So your family is not going to always be the mother, father, two kids, a dog, and, you know, a cat. So it could be any combination of people. And we want to focus on who are the people that make up your family, whether they are related to you by blood or marriage or just by love. So we want to think about what are some of those characteristics that exist that make up a healthy family. Now, historically, the family had basically five functions. And as you think about back in the days of the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie, I can't remember, the Ingalls, um, those people represented the basic functions of the family historically. And one of those functions was for economic survivor survival. <clears throat> Typically, the father was the breadwinner. The mother stayed home, took care of the kids, and was the nurturer or the helpmate for the child, for the uh, husband. And in those days, uh, people had a lot of children for economic reasons. Uh, that doesn't necessarily happen as often now because uh, times are different. But historically, the family, they might have even lived on a farm or in a rural area, but one of the benefits or the purposes of having a lot of children was to help the family economically. They might have worked on the farm or whatever. And unfortunately, in that situation, a lot of kids 
had to grow up fast. They didn't have your typical teenage years of uh, fun and frivolity. They had to work and help with the family. So the family served as the basic economic unit, and they band together to survive, whether they were farmers or had some craft or maybe a business. But the family unit operated as a team for the basic economic survival of that family unit. Another function of the family was to provide protection. And in those days, the families banded together. Uh, they stuck together, and you know they valued the extended family because the more extended family you had, the more protection you had, uh, you had more resources, and it also helped economically. And if you think about historically, today we think about the word ghetto as a negative and sometimes we use that to describe certain socioeconomic uh, categories that is not seen as a positive. But back in the early days of this country, a lot of ethnic groups from different countries came together and they developed ghettos where they would replicate their culture from another country by living in a common area and sharing common culture and practices and essentially duplicating the culture that they came from. So ghettos initially was a positive thing and not something that was seen you know, so negatively, but it was to provide protection for that family or for that community, which sometimes the community was a large family or an extended family or a group of people that were from a common area. The third function of the family was to pass on the religious faith whatever that might be for that particular family, and it would be uh, different. And as you may recall, a lot of people came from other countries seeking religious freedom because the country from which they came um, didn't allow them to have that freedom. So the passing on of the religious faith was a primary function of the family. The fourth function of the family was to educate the young. Historically, Children learn how to survive. They learn how to uh, function in society from the family. If it was a family that had a business or a craft, uh, they learned the craft of the family. And that was oftentimes a legacy that was passed on from uh, generation to generation is to educate your young and to help them to function in society. And the fifth and final function of the family was to provide status, a sense of identity. Uh, the family name was very important, and it was very important for the children to not blemish the family name. And <clears throat> each family had its own legacy, and that legacy may have been positive or maybe not so positive. But those were the five functions of the family, was to provide economic survival, protection, to pass on the religious faith, to educate its young, and to confer status or identity. Well, over time, uh, the definition and identity of families changed, and families became a little bit more fragmented, and as families became more fragmented, as people became more mobile, and our country grew, and people spread out, left the ghettos, and uh, moved into other areas, things eventually changed, and over a period of time, 
those five functions of the family were passed on to other entities. Um, at one point, the uh, good family, quote unquote, was considered a family that was self-sufficient. Uh, they didn't ask for help. Uh, they supported as institutions, which would be, would be schools and churches and so forth. Um, they didn't think about failure because they all band together and had resources. And, you know, at one point, one of the values was that people would starve before they would ask for welfare. And so each community defined what constituted a good, solid, stable family. Well, that's not going to be the same for everybody. It will vary from community to community and from uh, period to period. So the economic survival of the family shifted. It no longer was an asset to have a lot of children because a lot of families couldn't manage because as we became less of an agrarian or farming society and more industry came along, um, there was no longer a benefit as far as the protection of family that was passed on to other institutions, public institutions like the government welfare or other uh, public and social agencies, the function of passing on religious faith was transferred to professional churches, uh, parochial schools, or other entities that provided uh, that faith. Education was transferred to schools and other formal education systems. And the family, unless you were the Rockefellers or the Kennedys or Donald Trump's family or some of his other people with deep pockets, your status came from your job or your career, your level of income, where you live, and those type of uh, things that confer social status. So as we think about the history of our family unit and how things have changed in our society, then what constitutes a healthy family trait has changed with some of the social values that have changed and some of the things that used to be valued um, and seen as a positive lost some of its value. But when I look at some of these characteristics that was described uh, from this research in the survey about the traits of a healthy family, a lot of those things have not changed. And so what we want to do is to spend some time looking at what are some of those characteristics and how do they fit into the five functions of the family. And so we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back after that, and we'll start talking about some of the traits of a healthy family. So stay tuned, and we'll be back shortly. You're listening to Dr. Bo Worldwide on Let's Straighten It Out right here on the Soul of America Radio. Give Dr. Bo a call right now at 323-784-9638. That's 323-784-9638 right here on the Soul of America Radio. This is a very important message from the Soul of America Radio. Please pardon our progress. We're making major changes in our programming and programming lineup at this time, and please ask for your patience as we do so. The Soul of America Radio isn't going anywhere. We're just making progress at this time. Thank you, and continue enjoying 
the rest of Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo. Now, worldwide, let's return to Let's Straighten It Out. Give Dr. Bo a call at 323-784-9638 and press 1 when you want to speak to Dr. Bo. That number is 323-784-9638. Press 1 to speak to Dr. Bo, and don't you forget it. And now, here's Dr. Bo in Let's Straighten It Out. Okay, welcome back, folks. Uh, we're going to be talking tonight about traits of a healthy family, and what we're going to spend the next section on is just looking at what are some of the characteristics of a healthy family. And a reminder, as I said earlier, is don't feel like your family is not healthy if you don't have all of these traits or even most of them. These are positive traits that exist in families to different degrees and in different manners, but Based on the research that was done from the survey, um, again, this was done back in 83, or the book was written in 83, the survey was done prior to that. These are just some things that people that work with families see as healthy family traits. And so we want to share some of these, and feel free to call in and share your thoughts. Uh, The first one is that a healthy family communicates and listens. Uh, communication is so critical because a lot of the conflicts that people experience is because of poor communication or differences of opinion, and the poor communication makes it difficult for people to resolve conflicts. So with the family, you have to think about how does your family communicate its values to each other? How does the families communicate uh, their feelings? Do you feel like your family members listen to you? Um, do they encourage you to express your individual feelings or to be an independent thinker or are you expected to think like the family and to not have the freedom to express yourself? Um, A healthy family recognizes what are some of those words that are put-downs or negative words and how do you avoid those negative communications Um, Does the family interrupt a lot or does each person have an opportunity to express themselves? And how does your family deal with conflict? When there's a conflict, how do you resolve that and reconcile? So a family that has good communication skills and exercises or practices active listening where each person is given an opportunity to be heard, and that doesn't necessarily mean that Um, children are allowed to be disrespectful, for example. It simply means that everyone in the family is valued as having an opinion and you're willing to, within reason, hear each person's opinion and to try to reach a compromise when there's a conflict. So it's very important for 
families of any size or if it's just a couple, um, that you're able to communicate and that you practice active listening, which means you value the opinion of the other person and give them an opportunity to express their own individual feelings. It's a delicate balance sometimes to not lose your individual identity as you're trying to uh, fit into the family. And so a healthy family allows each individual to have their individual values, but also to have shared values. And how that's communicated is very important. Um, Another trait that fits under the communication part is that the healthy family values table time and conversation. There was a time when it was more traditional for families to have fixed dinner times or meal times, and that was the time that the family sat down and talked and communicated and enjoyed being together. But as families became more fragmented and people became more busy with these different schedules, with more uh, mothers working outside the home or both parents working uh, different careers and other activities, you got three kids, and each one of them is involved in five different activities, and you're going here, there, and yon, taking them to soccer practice and basketball. So it became less frequent or less common that families had that shared table time together. But those families that value that and spend that time together are oftentimes more likely to have more positive communication and to be able to resolve conflicts, but that's also a time to pass on the family values uh, to the children and to the young people. And if you have an extended family where you have a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle who can pass on the family's history and legacy, then that shared time is a good way to pass those values on, but it's important for you to look at the communication patterns and how you spend time uh, with your family unit. Um, Another trait of a healthy family is that the family affirms and supports one another, and affirm is just giving positive feedback. The parents have positive self-esteem and they have a shared sense of purpose or they recognize the need to build self-esteem in their children. So they don't do things to put their children down or to tear down their self-esteem. You try to find ways to say positive things about each other. That doesn't mean that you don't ever say anything negative because sometimes you have to give open, honest feedback or to hold people accountable, but you're trying to find as many ways to be positive and to be supportive um, and to be encouraging. And so families that um, do that tend to get along better. And this is not something that's going to happen automatically. Sometimes that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort for people to do that because in our society, unfortunately, we're more inclined to focus on the negative than we are on the positive. And as parents, I think it's very important, particularly with younger children, that you find ways to help them to be successful, that you find ways to help them to have positive uh, experiences. And so you want to give them encouragement and positive feedback and find ways to be supportive and to affirm them. If you have something negative to say with a 
your child, I think it's helpful to use what I call the sandwich technique. You want to first, you got to focus on the person's behavior and not so much on your feelings. But the sandwich technique basically is you find something positive or at least neutral to say to that person. Then you identify the behavior that you want to change or that you think they need to change, and then you close it with something positive. So that helps people to not be so defensive because when someone says something negative about you, it's human nature that you're going to uh, become defensive. So healthy families uh, affirm and support each other. Sometimes it's important for individuals to have their own affirmation. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you need to start the day off with something positive. Think about something that you're going to be successful for during that day. So ideally the family will give you that support and affirmation, but sometimes you have to take that step yourself to uh, to do that. Um, another characteristic is that a healthy family teaches respect for others. Uh, oftentimes it's difficult to respect people because we expect them to be perfect. And the minute that they're not perfect, uh, then we start jumping on the bandwagon to put people down or to feed into some of the negative stereotypes. I think that it's important for us to model that for our children. And sometimes uh, we are going to fall short, but we have to respect the individual differences within the family. As we think about the diversity of the family, it's that diversity that actually gives the family strength. And what are the traits, what are the talents of the different family members? And some people are going to have more talents than others, but um, you have to respect yourself before you can respect others. But I think it's important for the family as a group to show respect for each other um, to allow people to have individual decisions. As long as it's not something that's immoral, illegal, or it's going to hurt someone, I think it's important for us to allow people, even our children to a certain extent, to make independent decisions as long as it's not going to affect their safety and welfare or as long as it's not being uh, disrespectful or doing something that's obviously wrong. Uh, you have to allow people to have their individual um, ideas and individual uh, thoughts about things and to respect them, um, even though it might not be something you agree with, but as long as it doesn't affect their safety welfare or is it not something that's illegal or immoral, we need to, as family members, respect each other. We need to expect, respect people outside the family. Uh, particularly some of those families that might have uh, different values than we have. Uh, everybody's not going to be the same, even within the family. Uh, everybody's not going to have the same values. So you don't always have to agree, and sometimes you have to agree to disagree. But a healthy family shows respect for each other, and they also show respect for folks outside the family. And how you do that will differ from one family situation to the next, but uh, the more positive self-esteem you have, the more likely you are to respect others. The more you respect yourself, the more likely you are to respect others. So how do you pass that on to your children? You pass that on to them by 
modeling respect for them. Uh, sometimes parents forget that children are just smaller versions of them. They're just smaller people. They have feelings. They have thoughts. They have uh, intelligence. And sometimes we forget that, and we might show disrespect for a child, and it might not be intentional, but it's important for you to look at how can I respect the values of the people that make up this family unit? How can I support them? How can I affirm them? And how do I communicate that to them? So uh, it's very important that we start at an early age with our children of demonstrating respect, and that way they will learn to do that with others, and you'll feel better about them, and they'll feel better about themselves. Another area that's important, I think, is that a healthy family uh, develops a sense of trust. One of the reasons that a lot of people have problems with their relationships is because of a lack of trust or someone does something to betray your trust and it's very difficult for you to forgive that person and to move past that incident. But in a family, it's very important for if there's a husband and wife uh, it's very important for them to uh, trust each other. Um, the children are given opportunities to earn trust, uh, particularly when you get to dealing with adolescents, for example. Um, you have to give them increments of responsibility and uh, freedoms, and then that's where you teach them to uh, use their judgment. Um, sometimes um, family members play what's called a trust trap game. Um, you only trust them to a point, but you set them up sometimes where you might tell someone something to see if they're going to tell anybody. And then if they do, then it's a gotcha. Um, or you um, give them something that you are seeing if they will uh, protected, but you want to be open and honest in your interactions with family members, um, and you definitely don't ever want to betray the trust of someone um, for the amusement of others or to embarrass someone, for example, by telling a family secret or saying something about a person that you know they don't want anybody else to know. When you do that, it really can damage trust, and it might not even be anything that's really that you perceive as critical, but it might be critical for that person. And sometimes, um, when you break a person's trust, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to repair it. So you need to be mindful of treating people the way that you want to uh, be treated, and you want both the parents and the children to be trustworthy. And the best way to do that is to behave in a manner um, that will encourage people to trust you. You have to be faithful to your word. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. If you say you're not, then don't. Um, don't make promises that you can't keep. And you see this a lot of times with families that have been uh, dealing with separation or divorce, and you have a situation where people um, make promises to do something that they don't follow through. When that happens over and over with the child, then it comes to the point where they might not trust any adults because they're looking at the 
experience that they've had with that one person in their life that proved not to be trustworthy. So as we interact with each other in our family, how can we build trust? How can we demonstrate that? And if you encounter one of those situations where there's a betrayal of trust, then how do you rebuild that? And the only way to rebuild it is to take the chance that you trust that person. And yes, uh, they might betray you again, but you won't know until you give that person a chance. And sometimes that's not easy to do, but in a healthy family, people are more forgiving and they don't hold on to the past. They're willing to, you know, some people say, well, I'll forgive you, but I can't forget. Well, unless you develop amnesia, obviously you're not going to forget it. But even though you remember the behavior, you have to separate some of those emotions that go with your reaction to that behavior. And if your partner or someone significant in your life uh, betrays you, then you have to find ways to get past that. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, in most instances, it's going to require taking a risk to see if you can trust that person again. If you don't ever take any risk, then you never know if you can trust that person or not. So if you're just going on your beliefs and you never give that person a chance, then that could hinder any trust from developing uh, in that family. Another characteristic that we want to talk about <clears throat> before we go to our second break is that a healthy family has a sense of uh, play and humor. Humor is very important uh, to help us to release release stress to help us to uh, cope with stressful situations. And that doesn't mean that you are just playful all the time. You're never serious. But you have to find ways to see humor in things. You need to take things lightly sometimes. You need to have fun activities. Um, and different families will do different things, whether it's doing uh, having game nights or different things that you do in your house or you might go out on picnics and have family gatherings where you're uh, playing games. Some families get together and um, have competitive games just to entertain themselves. But you need to strike a balance in your day-to-day life to where you don't take everything too seriously. You have an opportunity built in for the family to play together and to do things that are fun and humorous, and that helps people to cope with stress. It helps them to uh, take a different approach to uh, dealing with conflict. And so you want to look at ways to have entertainment or family entertainment. In this day and age, it oftentimes will take a little bit of effort because everywhere you look, there are things that are not family-oriented, and you can't always, for example, go by the ratings on some of these movies and things that you see on TV. So as a family, if you want to have healthy characteristics, then what are some things that you can do to play together, uh, to look at humor? Um, It's also important for you to have balanced interaction among members. Uh, You want to, and you can do that through family activities, and you also want to have balanced and sharing responsibilities and um, that sort of thing. So it's important for you as a family member, how do you plan ahead to do those things? Because in this day and age when more and more 
often you have single parents or you have a situation where both parents are working and you have careers and different activities and uh, social commitments, uh, that family time becomes um, more critical and it takes a lot of planning sometimes to have those times where you can play together or have that type of interaction. Um, how do you plan to share your leisure time? Um, and that's uh, something that we want to uh, take a look at. So we're going to take another quick break, and we'll pick up with the leisure time and some other uh, characteristics in a minute. So um, encourage your friends to tune in, uh, to call in 323-784-9638 or to uh, log on to uh, com. But we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back and pick up with some of these other characteristics. So hang on, and we'll be back shortly. You're spending your evening with Dr. Bo on Let's Straighten It Out, right here on the Soul of America Radio. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Bo is coming right back. I'm Tony Stallings with the Soul of America Radio, and we'd like to thank you for your patience. That's right, patience during our construction. We are reconstructing SOAR for the best experience possible for you. I wouldn't have it any other way. Most of our programmings are no longer available as we are revamping everything. We aren't going nowhere. We're just getting better. Thank you for your continued support, as always. Love you in peace. Keep soaring. Give Dr. Bo a call at 323-784-9638 and press 1 to speak with Dr. Bo. This is the Soul of America Radio. And we now return you to Let's Straighten It Out with Dr. Bo, right here on the Soul of America Radio. Okay, folks, welcome back to uh, Straighten It Out. We're talking tonight about traits of a healthy family, and I continue to remind you, don't expect your family to have all or most of these characteristics because some of them you might have to look at how it is exhibited in your family. It might be different from one family to the next, but these are just some characteristics that people that work closely with families feel or demonstrations or examples of a healthy family structure. And as I said earlier, we have enough talk about family dysfunction. We want to look at some of the positive characteristics. And so we're going to finish that up before the show's out. So the next two that we want to look at is that a healthy family shares leisure time, but they also exhibit a sense of shared responsibility. So you have to balance your play and your work, and you want to prioritize uh, these activities, and it's very important for you to have some leisure time and some downtime because if you're serious all the time, that can be uh, pretty stressful. And this next one about uh, having a sense of shared responsibility goes back to uh, some of the comments I made at the beginning of the show 
when we looked at the five functions of the family, and uh, it was at one point in our history when the families, particularly when people were living on farms and they had to band together to work, I think it was a lot more common then to see people share responsibilities. So in this day and age when you have so many instances of both parents working or single parents, um, that's important for you to pass that on to your children and you want to match the responsibility with the person's ability. Um, And if people uh, have chores, for example, that teaches your kids to uh, be responsible. Um, I know that there was a time when parents uh, gave their children allowances and some children uh, got allowances whether they did chores or not. Others had to do chores to earn that allowance. So there are different ways that you can communicate that to your family and to your children, but a family that shares the responsibilities um, tend to get along better, and it's it's a healthier environment. I think this next one I think is very critical because it's important for parents uh, to teach the sense of right and wrong. And in this day and age, our children are challenged with a lot of the stuff that they see in society uh, that does not teach them positive uh, behavior. They're sometimes given in to peer pressure to do things that they, are, that they know are not right. Um, back when I was younger, you weren't, we weren't perfect, but you didn't do things because you had been told that if you did, you were going to um, be in trouble with your parents. So if you did something outside that was wrong, you would get the consequence from whatever that was, and when you got home, you got another uh, consequence. In trying to teach right and wrong, I think it's important, um, particularly if there's a father and mother involved, that you at least have some agreement on what are the important values that you want to pass on to your children because if the parents don't agree on what those values are, then they're not going to be consistent or clear in passing on those values to the children. And you want to communicate both verbally and through your actions what the guidelines are about right and wrong and teaching children um, a sense of their own moral responsibility. Um, And it means that you can't say one thing and do something else, and if you do that, then children oftentimes are going to practice what they see. I think about an instance when I was uh, much younger, and my aunt, who lived next door with my grandmother, and we spent a lot of time there, and I never will forget this instance where this man that she didn't want to see um, kept calling. And when he would call, she would get one of us to answer the phone and say, well, uh, tell him I'm not here. And she should have just told him that she didn't want to see him, but what she was demonstrating to us was that it was okay to lie. And that was kind of confusing sometimes because we sometimes um, got whippings or punished for lying, but uh, when you have that type of an inconsistent message to children where on the one hand you're asking them to lie, 
uh, it can be confusing when they're trying to learn uh, the difference between uh, right and wrong. Uh, so you want to help your children to uh, learn these values, not just from what you say, but more so uh, from what you do. It's important that what we say and what we do is consistent. So you don't want to, on the one hand, punish a child for lying and then at the same time put them in a position to lie because uh, that gives a mixed message. So it's the, re it's the responsibility of the parents uh, whether you have a mate or whether you're a single parent, uh, it's the parent's responsibility uh, to teach children uh, right and wrong and to do that through uh, demonstrating it in your own behavior. Another thing that's important for a healthy family is to be mindful of your family traditions and rituals. You know, what are the things that or important about your family that you want to pass on to your children, the family history, the family legacy, who were some of the people that um, that are like family legends. You know, every family has some legends and characters. You have uh, people that you get together, there are some you want to remember and some you don't. So um, who is the person in your family that holds all the family history that if you want to know about your family, who is it that has that information? Who is it that keeps up with people as they move around and uh, has addresses and phone numbers or email addresses? Each family has someone in that family that serves that role. Uh, each family has someone who pushes to keep the family together. Um, and so it's very important for us to honor and respect our rituals and traditions, and every family has its own set of rituals. How do you celebrate holidays? Do you celebrate holidays? Which ones do you celebrate? Which ones do you not celebrate? Um, how do you pass that information on to uh, children? How do you, you know, deal with your elders uh, as they get older? How do you deal with the children in your family? Um, I think that it's important for a family to be proud of its traditions and rituals and to pass them on. And the history of our country that at one point was a lot more common, but each family has to think about how will we maintain our family legacy and traditions. And if you don't pass that on from one generation to the next, then you tend to lose the family legacy, and so I think it's important for you to structure a way to do that. In some ways, people have family reunions. There's a lot of resources out there for people that are doing genealogists and family trees and uh, tracking their family history and finding out interesting pieces about that family. We had an instance when um, before my father died where we reconnected with some cousins that we hadn't seen in a long time, and that was very positive because we had just lost touch. And my mother reconnected with some of her cousins uh, that she had not seen. And with a lot of these people, I had never met them. But um, I think it's important for us to maintain family traditions and to find ways to pass that on from one generation uh, to the next. Uh, the next topic we want to look at is that 
a healthy family has a shared religious core. And when we talk about a religious core, we're not talking about any specific religion, but whatever your spiritual or religious beliefs are in your family, how do you pass those values on to your children? How do they know uh, what's important? Uh, What are some of your practices? What are some of the strengths that you see uh, in your family support system that uh, centers around religion or spirituality? Um, I think it's important for parents to assume primary responsibility for passing their faith on to their children and to do it in a positive way. Um, There are some families that it's not always a positive experience because they don't always agree, and sometimes there are conflicts in families because they don't share that religious core. But I think it's important for the parents in this situation to establish that foundation, and some of that has to be done through not just how you are when you are in your corporate worship, wherever that might be, or the things that you do at church or in your synagogues and that sort of thing. It's what do you do at home? How do you demonstrate in your day-to-day life about what your religious beliefs are? Uh, There's a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about uh, parents passing these on through your daily life. It's, you know, practicing what you preach. It's important for your children to see in your behavior, in your day-to-day activity, when you're not at church, when you're not out in public, uh, there needs to be consistency in what you demonstrate and model to your children. And I think it's the role of the parents to make sure that those values get passed on to their children and that it's done in a meaningful and a consistent way. Um, Sometimes parents encounter a situation where as their children grow older, uh, they don't maintain those shared uh, beliefs. And I've seen situations where sometimes families just become split because of that. But a lot of this, I think, is influenced by how the parents go about sharing those core values and the more consistent their behavior is with what they claim to be their um, beliefs, I think the more likely your children are to value that and to respect that. But when they see a contradiction between what you do and what you say, then they tend to not value that as much and to not have as much respect for it. So I think that's really critical for the parents to be responsible for setting that foundation and not pass that on to their minister or whoever but, you know, that's important to have a balance there, but the primary responsibility is for the parents um, to do that. The other trait that we want to look at is that a healthy family respects the privacy of one another. And if you've got children, you don't want to risk your child's safety, um, but, you know, I think that you have to strike a balance to give children privacy based on their age and their maturity and on their behavior. Uh, Even with smaller children, you want to um, look at doing that in a way that matches their age and level of responsibility. I think about my grandson, who's five now, uh, when he was younger, if he had to go to the restroom, he would 
have someone go with them, and you had to stand there and watch him and help him. And as he matured, uh, he reached a point where he didn't want you to go in there, and he wanted his privacy. And so I think that you need to be mindful of the maturity level of your children and have a amount of respect for their privacy that matches their age and their level of maturity, and particularly if you have adolescents, as they grow and they're getting ready to leave home, uh, that can be a real struggle sometimes. And some families don't handle that as well because they don't plan for it. And I think that it's important for the family to look at ways to recognize that there are going to be things that will happen that your children or one are going to want to be involved in. When you think about some of the fads and things that come and go, uh, that oftentimes is a big struggle for parents with teenagers is dealing with the change in fads and respecting their privacy and respecting them as people. Um, but I think it's important for us to show that respect for each other, uh, to allow them some space and some time, because that helps them to prepare for respecting the privacy of other people. So you want to make sure that you're doing that according to their age and their uh, level of maturity, but I think it's important for us to uh, respect the privacy of each other and to uh, some people feel like this is my house and I can go wherever I want to and I can see whatever I want to see and do whatever I want to do, but that doesn't always give your children a positive message and sometimes that can create uh, conflict and distrust. But if you have a situation where you have a child, particularly an adolescent, that violates your boundaries or your rules to where you feel like for a period of time you are going to set those limits, I think it's very important that you are consistent with that and that you still respect the privacy of your child. Um, I think one thing that parents today have to deal with that uh, our parents didn't particularly have to deal with that fits into that category is people, your children have an access to the Internet. I don't think that it's wise for parents to allow total privacy with their children with the Internet, but unfortunately in a lot of instances the parental controls don't work because the parents don't know how to operate them and the children do or know how to undo it. So when you're dealing with the reality of technology, that puts this privacy issue in a whole different realm because you want to be responsible and protect your children. So in those instances, you don't want to give them so much privacy that you aren't able to protect them, but within reason, you want to strike a healthy balance, you know, in that arena. Um, the last two things that we want to look at because we're almost out of time is that a healthy family values service to others. Um, a lot of schools, for example, require their children to do service projects, and a lot of organizations do that. What that does is it teaches your child to have a certain amount of empathy for other people, uh, to develop a benevolent you know, spirit and attitude, to be hospitable. Uh, so volunteering and doing things uh, to help others build self-esteem, and it contributes to the community. And so I think that the family that 
demonstrates that through volunteering and other similar activities can present a positive role model for their children to help them as they grow up to realize that you don't always get paid for what you do, that uh, sometimes there's great value in serving others or helping others. And the last one that I want to point out, which is very critical, is that a healthy family admits the need for help and seeks help with their problems. So often people struggle uh, with a lot of problems, and they aren't willing to seek help for it. But a healthy family is willing to do that. Um, some families strive to solve problems themselves, and that's fine. But if it becomes something that's beyond your ability to do, then I think it's important for you to convey to your children and family members that it's okay to ask for help, that nobody is totally self-sufficient. Everybody needs help sometime, and it's important for you to uh, demonstrate that as parents to your children, that it's okay to ask for help, and that's not necessarily a sign of weakness. And so these are some things that I just want you to think about. Um, again, you might not have all of these characteristics or even most of them, but these are just some characteristics that were observed by people that work with families that demonstrated health. So we don't want to spend all of our time talking about family dysfunction and the bad things that happen, but we want to look at uh, what are some of the positive characteristics of um, family. And as you think about these different characteristics, think about your own family and how are these characteristics demonstrated uh, in your family. Um, there's some other research that's been done um, that looks at different um, types of families or different uh, cultural and ethnic groups, and we might do that show um, at some point in the future. But uh, think about what we're talking about, the traits of the healthy family, is that the family communicates and listens. Uh, they affirm and support one another. Uh, they teach respect for others. Uh, they develop a sense of trust. They have a sense of play and humor. Uh, they exhibit a sense of shared responsibility. Uh, they teach a sense of right and wrong. Uh, they have a strong sense of family um, and respect their rituals and traditions. Uh, they have a balanced interaction amongst members. They have a shared religious core. They respect the privacy of one another. They value service to others. Uh, they foster family time and conversation. Uh, they share leisure time, and they admit and seek help with their problems. Uh, in case you're interested, I will uh, post on the website a little bit later uh, these characteristics and also uh, some links that you can go online and get a little bit more information about that. But uh, hopefully some of this was of interest to you. Uh, you can get that information, and sometimes you can use this as a good conversation piece uh, for your family. So we want to encourage you to tune in next week. Uh, we are rebuilding. Uh, we're coming up with some new shows and some new ideas. Uh, we're always open to suggestions about topics of interest or about things that you might want to uh, know. So go to soulsofamericaradio.com and uh, leave your information. 
and we will keep you posted. So thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.